We're going to look at three things between now and Christmas. Uh, the seed, and then two other things that God prepared beforehand. It's in, it is in keeping with our prophets, our prophecy studies, because it's all about God preparing for Christmas. That's what it's about, you know, and here we are, we've come into the, the end of 2019, all the festive events are taking, beginning to take place, in fact, on Saturday, our family will be having our Christmas meal, you know, it's not even December and we're having our Christmas meal, you know, and we, so we are sort of getting in with everybody else, starting earlier and earlier every year, before long it'll be, it'll be into October and then... And then the rest of it, you know, and everybody's wanting to bring Christmas on that much quicker. You know, and of course we've been looking at the television and the Coca-Cola lorry have been coming for ages. You know, it comes for Christmas and uh, John Lewis's uh, adverts and Marks and Spencer's adverts. Well, and toys have been on the television since, well, since the end of the holidays, really. You know, and uh, people have trimmed up since November. You know, I think that November the 5th, the last firework, is the starting gun for trimming up. Even preachers start earlier and earlier now. Because I heard, along the grapevine, that uh, Alison did a Christmas message on Sunday night. How dare she, when it's not even December. So I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Prepare him for Christmas earlier and earlier every year. But when you read the scriptures... The preparations for that very first advent dwarf anything that any of us will ever see in our lifetime. In fact, preparations literally began before the foundation of the world. That's how eager Christ, our God, was to bring Christ into the world. He started planning before, as David said in his prayer, before he spoke the world into being. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but a body you have prepared. We've been doing this over the last couple of weeks as well. In burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. So in a very real way, we can start... Uh, this series of studies way back further than we could ever grasp before the foundation of the world November and we, we are all ready to go for Christmas but before the foundation of the world God started preparing to bring his son into the world you know but for us this evening Preparations. Are we going to start looking at the preparations that started a mere 4,000 years before that night in Bethlehem? If you can cast your minds back to 2012, and uh, there was a massive, massive uh, uh, problem that was facing the world. Now, we've had two massive problems facing the world. One was in 1999 remember when everybody thought that the world was going to end because the millennium bug remember the millennium bug No, it, it was our everyday every minute conversations in 1999 we haven't spoke about it since you know, because nothing happened but then 2012 comes along 12, just 12 years later 
and we have if can you remember what happened 12 years after 2000 the big problem the world was going to end remember the Mayan calendar remember the Mayan calendar they found a calendar that ran out on the 21st of December 2012 and all the experts thought this is it of course today is climate change we've only got 10 years left 10 years to get it all done because the world is going to melt no, and then here we are we, the, the Mayan calendar reckoned that it was going to run out on the 21st of December 2012 you know and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of doomsday prophecies that surfaced during that year grown men educated men scientific men put so much stock in an ancient calendar running out on a particular day and yet those same educated men scientific men would ignore or even vilify the amazing set of prophecies that we find in the scriptures so plain 4,000 years before the birth of Christ God said that he would come 4,000 years you and you we have the Lord, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ born 2,000 years ago you know and uh, prophecies that haven't got to be speculated about prophecies that came to pass with amazing accuracy when Jesus Christ was brought to birth Christ is the one man in history whose whole life story from birth through life his miracles, his actual words, his death his resurrection and his ascension and indeed his second coming is all laid down for us explicitly in pre-written centuries before his actual arrival on the scene of time um, a man by the name of Dyson Haig he was a canon <laughs> he says this who can draw a picture of a man not yet born Yet you, in the Bible, we have the most striking and unmistakable likeness of a man portrayed, not by one, but by 20 or even 25 artists, none of whom had ever seen the man that they were painting. You know, that's an amazing testimony to the accuracy of the prophecies that God gave in the Old Testament this astounding miracle of divine omniscience is alone sufficient to prove the supernatural authorship of this amazing book nothing but divine foreknowledge could have foreseen it and nothing but divine power could have accomplished it you see the prophets they didn't understand what they were talking about Peter tells us that they talked about things that would be for us they didn't know what they were talking about some of the things they said they just said them you know one just put it out there they didn't know they didn't know that God was going to become flesh and dwell among us they didn't know that he was going to take our sins away and be hung upon a cross yes they wrote about it but they didn't know they didn't understand the full input of their part 
in such a great scheme. And yet, such was the accuracy of their portrayal of the Messiah that it enabled Jesus to identify himself through their writings. You know, I said in my prayer, we know who you are. How do we know who you are? Because you've told us who you are. You've shown us who you are. You've painted this amazing picture of who you are. You and Jesus pointed to the scriptures and said, This is who I am. We're on the road to Emmaus, this is who I am. In the upper room, this is who I am. You and Paul, when he was trying to persuade the Jews that Jesus was the predicted one, he says this, So then, so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodgings, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. How do you, how do you tell people who Jesus is? Well, show them. Show them from Moses and from the prophets. It's incredible. The accuracy of these prophecies. You know, I suppose the, the text that we could use to, to sort of put a, a foundation stone for this little series would be the one that we're dealing with on Sunday morning, Jeremiah. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is being fulfilled. That's what he said to Jeremiah. You've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is being fulfilled. You know, that's what God has done from day one. He's looked after his word. And at certain points in time, he has fulfilled his promises. And will do right up until the end, when that last promise will be when he sends his son to take us to be with himself. But I would say that the first brushstroke that was smeared on this messianic canvas and one which would set the scene for us and, um, and for every artist that was to follow is found back there in the Garden of Eden. You know, at the very beginning of the scriptures and is given not so much as an encouragement to the sinners lost but as a foreboding warning to the one whose devilish deceptions brought humanity into such a state. Who did he prophesy to first? It was to the serpent, the devil. He was the first to learn of his impending doom. As the deliverer of the human family, that promised one would come and destroy him and his devious works. You know, it's given a title in theological circles as the Proto-Evangel, the first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the promised Redeemer who would come and save their sins. Listen to how God puts it. The Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you a seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and we can see straight away from that uh, warning that God gave to Satan that salvation 
belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And here is the covenant being set out for us. It's between Father and Son. It's between God and the Lamb. Notice that man has been completely and deliberately left out of these negotiations. He isn't a part of it. We are not a part of the salvation process. We are the uh, recipients of it and grateful uh, recipients of what God is doing. But it's God and the Lamb that are about to affect our eternal salvation. Now, man might have, might have been an observer. Man, I'm talking about Adam and Eve, they might have been eavesdroppers, but in no way are they active in the redemptive plans of God. It's from start to finish God's work. And that's why it works, because it's God's work. If it was God plus, it would fail. God plus anyone. If it was God, can you imagine if it was God plus Roger? We'd fail miserably. You know, even God plus Janice, we'd fail miserably. If it, go on then. If it was God plus me, we'd fail minist, uh, miserably. But it wasn't any of those. It's God from start to finish. And no one else is involved. This proto-evangel, this first mention of the scripture, finds its echo in the greatest of New Testament verses. Listen to it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we can see straight away that salvation is basically a covenant between God and His Lamb concerning the eradication of sin and the perpetrator of sin being taken from the scene. That's what it's about. It's not about anything else. I thank God for that. I thank God that I haven't got anything, to, no part to play in this. I'm just gloriously saved. That's all I am. And I didn't even deserve it. And I definitely didn't earn it. Man is but a blessed, undeserving recipient of God's grace. By grace we have been saved. Not of works lest anyone should boast. So we've got nothing to boast about here tonight. Nothing to look down our noses at anyone. You know, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the call of God upon our lives uh, go each and every one of us. So the first thing that we can see straight away is that salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. But we can also see that this Redeemer, you know, and it sounds like a contradiction, but this Redeemer is human. Human. You know, as we progress through the Scriptures, the necessity of a human Redeemer becomes so plain. Now, in no, in no uncertain terms, we learn that it is the shed blood 
that brings remission from sins. And in fact, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You know, in Hebrews, when, you know, when we dealt with Hebrews a number of years ago, we saw that it's a book that is awash with references that show the necessity of human intervention in the stead of a sinner. You know, chapter 2 of Hebrews says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And again in chapter in verse 17 of chapter 2, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So we can see that he has to be human, because he's got to be like us. He has to be human, because he's got to bleed. You know, God can't bleed. So he has to become a human. And we know, don't we, from Hebrews as well, that the blood of bulls and goats, yes, it's blood, but it's not precious blood. You know, it doesn't come up to the standard that God would require as a sacrifice for sin. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that human being, that person who we know is God in the flesh was come to taste death for everyone, to shed his blood, to become a propitiation for our for the sins of the people. He has to be a human being. You know, and can we also see from this reference in Genesis that this Redeemer has to be a male child. You know, I know that might offend a lot of people, that God is referred to as He in the Scriptures. Well, in the real scriptures. You know, you can probably get a Bible now with a rainbow colour, which will call God a she, you know, and stuff like this. Or perhaps God doesn't know if he's an he or she. Perhaps he's transitioned. I don't know. But um, the, the fact of the matter is that God promised Satan that a male child would bruise his head. A male child. He shall bruise... He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. So we've got a, a start. We've got to start. God has provided someone. And that someone is human. And that someone is male. Not the minute. That's all we've got. Right? I know that someone has blood in his veins. So that's all we've got is that. So then, the question that we could ask ourselves is, when he comes, how will we know him? How can we recognize him? Because the world is awash with male human beings. You know, there's one, two, three, four in here tonight. Four male human beings. So how is he, how are we going to um, recognize him when humanity is even with great men. There's been great men in history. Champions have arisen to take our cause in every generation. In fact, the Sadducees rejected Christ's claims of being the Messiah because they believed that Judas Maccabees 
was the Messiah, uh, and um, they thought, well, you can't be the Messiah, as Judas was. Mm. Which, strangely enough, Judas Maccabees. You know, but part of God's Christmas preparation includes the exclusion of any pretenders. And in declaring him a male, immediately takes half of humanity out of the picture. In other words, we're only looking for a man. We're not looking for a woman. We're not looking... You know, so we've got half of the billions of uh, people have, that have walked the earth. They're immediately out of the picture. We're looking for a man. But again, there's still an awful lot of people to sift through before we are guaranteed to know the true Redeemer. Well, we know one thing. It wasn't Adam. Why? Well, because he wasn't born. He was created. And he was standing just yards away at this point, feeling sorry for himself, ashamed of himself, with his fig leaves withering by the minute. We know it wasn't Adam. Yes, he was, a, he was created in the image and the likeness of God. He was destined to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But he fell. He messed up. He forfeited his divine right and uh, his divine mandate. And redemption was made necessary because of him. So it couldn't have been him. It was because of his disobedience that the covenant between God and his Lamb in redeeming humanity and the earth, that's why it was because of him that it had to be ratified. So we can count him out. He's gone. So who was it? Because the only other person standing here is Eve. Of course it's not going to be Eve because it's going to be a male child. So she thought immediately straight away that it would be Cain. And she says those words. She said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I've gotten him from the Lord. This is him. This is him. As soon as she saw him. But she soon saw that he had inherited the same sinful nature that she and Adam had acquired. He only made matters worse. And he killed his own brother. Isn't that amazing that the third person to walk the earth was a murderer and killed his own brother. He made matters worse. But God gives us another clue to the Redeemer's identity by excluding large, a large swathe of humanity when he called Abraham and used the same word as he used in Genesis. Listen to how Paul summarizes the call of Abraham in Galatians. He says, Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made. He does not say unto seeds as many, but as one, unto you a seed, who is Christ. And there's the word, seed. The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. You know, and that's the greatest clue to our understanding. The word seed. Because God is going to use this through the scriptures. But choosing Adam as the seed carrier excludes all the other families on the earth. Shows him out and said, through you a seed, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. So, as human beings, it's pointless looking for salvation anywhere 
outside Abraham. Now we can't go looking for it in Africa or Australia or China or Japan or Russia or Britain. We can only look in one place. If you're going to find the true Redeemer, it's going to have to be through Abraham. Abraham. There's no redemption anywhere else outside of him. You want you think, well, why? Why Abraham? Well, God chose him. Did he deserve it? No. Did he earn that choice? No. When you read the traditions of Abraham, he was a idol worshipper. I told you the story about Abraham and his when he was um, uh, when he was young. This is a traditional story. I don't know if it's it's not true, obviously, but uh, his father his father used to have an idol shop, and um, his father was going out one day and he said to Abraham, "Will you look after the shop?" And the story goes that Abraham took an hatchet and he broke all the idols' heads off with an hatchet, except one. And that was the biggest idol. And he put the hatchet in the hands of the biggest idol. Said to his father, <laughs> now that's, I, I, that's not in the word, to be honest. I dumbfounded anyway. But he was an idol worshipper. He was in the year of Chaldeans. He was, you know, they weren't, they weren't seeking God. And he went, oh, I see a man who's seeking God. No, this is grace. This is the sovereignty of God choosing Abraham. But Abraham had two sons. It's getting a bit complicated again. Two sons. And even today the world is split in almost 50-50. You know, so to which one is the true seed? Is it Ishmael or is it Isaac? That's the problem. You know, and um, Islam will say, no, it's, it's Ishmael. He's the true son of, of Abraham. And then the Jews would say, no, it's Isaac. He's the true son of Israel. Now, who is it? Well, unfortunately for Islam, the same God who called Abraham excluded Ishmael. When he said in Genesis 21, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed, oh, the word seed, shall be called. But as time goes on, of course, Abram begets Isaac, and Isaac begets Jacob, and we know the story there. That, um, you know, that God said that uh, the older would serve the younger. I've chosen the younger one. So, we, you know, there's no problem there. But then, of course, we've got a problem because Jacob has 12 sons. 12 tribes. So the identity of the true seed is once again brought into numerical obscurity. From which tribe will he come? There's 12 of them. Which of these men are going to be honored with bringing forth the true Messiah? You know, and... Um, this isn't a problem for us because God has excluded 11 of them. In chapter, uh, the second book of Samuel, in chapter 7, it says, Now therefore, you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
We sing it every year, for unto us a child is born. He sits on the throne of David. So he's from Judah. So we don't need to look at the Levites or the Asherites or the Gadites or any of those type of ites. The only place where we get to look is Judah. Because in Judah will the seed be named. So that have excluded. It excluded most of the world. We're out of it for a start. We haven't got hope. It have excluded most of the children of Israel. Because only Judah, out of Judah will come the seed. So he's narrowed it down. But can he go any further? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. And see it again. And um, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between you a seed, and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now it's what I, you know, when I looked at that, I thought of, you know, obviously my mind went to Google Earth straight away. Google Earth. You know, when Google Earth came onto the scene first, Google Earth values something on the computer, right? It's a satellite of taking pictures all over the world. And you can go on Google Earth and I can look in your garden. I can go home tonight. Well, in fact, I can do it here. I can take my phone or my computer and I can think, I wonder what Val's doing in her garden. Or I wonder what she was doing in her garden eight years ago. Because it's a still photo and you can... What you can do then, you can... And on the screen comes the earth and then you start zooming in. And when it happened first, much of the day took it on, remember? They used to go, you know, they used to go have the world and go down onto uh, Old Trafford. And we can do, they can do that to Val's garden. I know exactly what she's got in her garden. And I know. Well, anyway, look at that. That's what, that's what God has done. He's zoomed in. There's humanity, this mass of people. Who's he gonna, where, where's he gonna come, where's he gonna come from? And all of a sudden, you start to see him zooming in. And zooming in, and zooming in, and zooming in, and zooming in, until he comes to one person. All the others have been excluded. And he zooms in to one person. And in calling the Redeemer, the seed of the woman, God has done just that. He's focused our attention on one solitary figure in the whole of history. And that is the virgin. The virgin. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to the virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Oh, that's... We're on the right track. The virgin's name was Mary, who incidentally was also of the house of David. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, 
call his name Jesus. He will be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Talked about him as well. Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One who is born, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Christmas Day at last. All the preparations are complete. Christmas Day at last. But notice whose names are in that message. There's David, there's Jacob, the son of Isaac, and of course, there's the virgin. So yes, this is the right one. There's only been one virgin birth, only one virgin birth in the whole of history. So we can say, well, this has got to be the one. We're in no doubt. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to us through his scriptures you know the first there was the mass of humanity and he chose Abraham so he cut off all the other nations in the world then there was two sons and he cut off Ishmael so Islam is of no value Mm. and then there were two sons but Esau served the younger so it was Jacob And then there were 12 sons. But then he cut off 11 and said he will come through Judah. And then, then there was David. And then there was a woman, a woman, the woman, a virgin, the right one. So we can be assured tonight that when we worship Jesus as the Son of God, we are doing so not because of any other reason other than this is the one that God has sent. Now, just to finish, did you notice that God at the very beginning, he leaked his initial plan to Satan in in the Garden of Eden. And to be honest with you, that's one of God's weaknesses. You didn't know that God had a weakness. I'm telling you this. He got a weakness. Because he can't keep things to himself. He got to go blurting them out. Now I, you and I, if we had a secret plan, the last person we tell would be the enemy. You know, in fact, in the Second World War, if you actually said anything to the enemy, you would be hung for treason. Because the, the way to win a battle is to keep the enemy in the dark. But at the very beginning of our time tonight, I said that God didn't tell uh, Adam or Eve this secret. He told Satan the secret. He was in the know from day one. How stupid is that? You know, but he leaked this to Satan and he was aware of this seed. You know, and he would follow it at every stage of its development. Mm. You know, and he not only would he follow it, but he would try to thwart God's plans mm. by trying to destroy 
the seed that was come in. You know, because of the extreme sinfulness of man, God destroyed the whole of the human race by the flood. That is, except for one family. But then, of course, God chose the Jews, and they were taken into Babylon because of their sin again. And what happened in Babylon? Well, the final solution was in Babylon. There was a man called Haman who wanted to destroy the Jews. Let's destroy the Jews. Why? Because if we destroy the Jews, we'll destroy the seed. And of course, it said a couple of weeks ago, or was it on a Friday morning, that because of a beauty contest, just a beauty contest, that Esther won, she became queen, and she was there at the very heart of government, and thwarted the devious actions of Amen. How fortunate is that? That she won the beauty competition, married the king, and thwarted the 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 schemes of Satan. You know, and uh, and of course lastly when Messiah actually arrived on the scene of time, it was Herod who attempted to thwart the seed by murdering the innocents. But every time that God did that, that Satan tried, and you know, and um, I gotta be honest with you, my father has got a my my memory serves me an amazing uh, sermon on the times that Satan tried to thwart the seed. I'd like to find it. You know, the trouble is with me, you know, my father could write a series on a stump. So if I found it, I wouldn't be able to read it anyway. But he's got an amazing, you know, when he goes to all the different places, and uh, if my memory serves me right, he says there was one time when the seed of Christ hung on the slenderest of, of threads. There was one man left. And if that man died, the seed would have died. I know I, I haven't found that in the scriptures. But that was his main thrust of his sermon. I can remember that. So if you ever, well, you you won't you won't hear him now because of course he's uh, gone to be with the Lord. But uh, so, but that was his that was his favourite sermon, you know. And um, so many attempts on the seed, and Herod was the last one to thwart the seed by murdering all the children under two. But God intervened. The first chapter of Matthew includes an endless list of names I think there's 42 different names and uh, if you look look, they start off like this the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ son of David Judah son of Abraham and it ends with Mary of whom was born Jesus the Christ and that phrase is testimony to the abject failure of Satan to intervene and thwart the divine preparations for that first Christmas day and I am so glad that Satan failed in his mission to thwart would have ever thought that that would have happened you know God we leaked the plan at the beginning, knowing 
but he would always be one step ahead. You know, when uh, in this, and especially this last one, Herod sent his men to go and kill Jesus, but he sent his son to Egypt out of the way, just in time, just in the nick of time, because it's the wise men uh, knew what they were doing. So, when we look at that, we can see that God has put some extreme preparation in for Christmas Day. So don't ever think that uh, you were going to start earlier and earlier. God started before the foundation of the world. And he finished there smack on in Bethlehem. Now next time, God willing, we look at another uh, aspect of Christmas that he made even as such meticulous uh, preparations to bring into being. For his name's sake. Amen. Amen.